Okay, well, good morning, and thank you so much for coming out for this conference today. In spite of the weather, I think the enemy was uh, determined that we not have the conference um, based upon the things that have gone down in, in the last couple of weeks, but here we are. And again, I thank you. This is Calvary Chapel of Chapel Hill, and I'm the pastor, Pastor David Marini, and uh, it is my great pleasure to welcome you here today and to um, take on what we termed the Live Not By Lies Conference. Now, we're all here today because we see something unfolding before our very eyes that's both strikingly unusual and deeply troubling. It seems like every aspect of our society, its values, its principles, its institutions, and its order are being rejected and dismantled right before our eyes. Absolute truth has been rejected in favor of relative truth, especially in the area of morality. Moral relativism combined with secular humanism has become the fastest growing and dominant religion, if you want to call it that, of our day. And it seems that a global agenda is being pushed upon the world by global elites, and it's taken root in governments, in private institutions, in corporations, in academia, in the media, and even the churches around the world. The values of this new globalism are decidedly anti-Christian. Even Pope Benedict XVI, 20 years ago, saw what was shaping up in the world and he deemed it a manifestation of the spiritual power of Antichrist. Now, this scenario that we see taking shape in our world, it's been played out in our world before, but not quite at the level or at the scope that we're seeing it now. Much of what we have been witnessing in the last 15 years is exactly what happened in the former Soviet Union when it established its totalitarian control over Eastern Europe in the last half of the last century. And there was a watchman on the wall by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a Ru Russian Orthodox Christian, and he wrote a famous book, The Gulag Archipelago. And in that book, he exposed the true horrors that were the Stalinist regime of the 21st or the 20th century Soviet Union. And just before the Soviets expelled him from the USSR in 1974, Solzhenitsyn wrote an essay to the Russian people, and he entitled it, Live Not By Lies. And in that essay, he challenged the widely held belief that the forces of totalitarianism were so powerful that ordinary people like you and me would be helpless to resist it. Solzhenitsyn saw the core of resisting totalitarianism as a spiritual fight more so than a political fight. And he assured the Russian people that the imposition of totalitarianism on people is always built on a foundation of deception and lies. And through various means, the people are fed lies of increasingly radical ideas that are designed to break down the fabric of the existing society and put in place total control by a governing elite. And the principal targets of this kind of movement towards totalitarianism, the principal targets are always the same. It's always the family and it's always belief in God. The system depends upon the fear of people to challenge lies. And Solzhenitsyn's prescription to the Russian people was very simple. Never knowingly support 
lies. Refuse to accept what you don't believe. Which brings us to the origin and the significance of the title for this conference. In 2020, a man by the name of Rod Dreher wrote a book entitled, Live Not By Lies. And in his book, Dreher identifies the same tactics of deception and lies being used to bring about what he termed soft totalitarianism in the societies around the world. Following Solzhenitsyn's lead and using the example of Orthodox Christians in Eastern Europe who formed the heart of the resistance against the communist totalitarianists, Dreyer provides both a warning and a clarion call to Christians in our nation to resist this creeping totalitarianism by refusing to give in to the lies that form the foundations of it. Well, in this conference, we're going to expand that line of thinking and that concept even further. And here's what I mean. We, most of us at least, we're students of Bible prophecy. And we know that the ultimate totalitarian world government in our future and its leader is none other than Antichrist. More than any other previous generation to this one, we see unmistakable signs that we are currently experiencing something that is the world being conditioned to receive this one world ruler. We also know that the appearance of Antichrist on the scene will usher in a seven-year period known as the Tribulation, a time of unprecedented judgment and wrath of God before Jesus returns to the earth. And so this brings us to the central questions that we're going to deal with in this conference. Let me set it up this way. The Bible clearly teaches that the church is not appointed to God's wrath. And the tribulation is a time, the time of God's wrath. The Lord has promised to rapture his church from the earth before Antichrist takes control. So here are the questions. What then should be the position of the church as we see that day of Antichrist approaching? And as we see our world being shaped to receive a totalitarian government ruled by this individual? Are we to quietly await our ride out of here? Are we to try and stay under the radar? Are we to go along with the changes in our institutions of education and government and economy and even the greater church in order to simply survive until the Lord comes and returns to take us off the earth? Does it even make sense to resist the tidal wave of changes that are coming and resist what we know is coming even though we know that no matter what we do, prophecy is never wrong. The Antichrist will come on the scene. He will exercise total control and he will do that over the entire earth, at least for a time. Those are the questions we must consider. These are questions that I've actually engaged with with other Christians. But, but here are the, this is the message and the objective of this conference. We have been placed upon the earth to be salt and light, haven't we? We are both to proclaim the truth and to preserve the truth. And that is true up until the very moment that Jesus Christ returns for us. We are not to be deterred from this mission in spite of the inevitability of the coming Antichrist. God has plans to bring many, many more people to faith right up until the day that he comes for us. Therefore, 
far from resigning ourselves to the inevitability of the coming evil, we should double down on our commitment to stand for the gospel and proclaim it with an even greater sense of urgency than ever before. And so the objectives of the conference are four, to inform, to reveal, to equip, and to encourage. To inform, what does the Bible tell us concerning end of days and what we will see in the days leading up to the appearance of Antichrist? Secondly, to reveal, a look at the deception and the lies that are shaping the world to receive Antichrist. Thirdly, to equip you, instruction in how to live our Christian lives without accepting or living by the lies that are imposed upon our society, but rather to remain committed to our commission to be dispensers and preservers of biblical truth. And then finally, to encourage you, to remind the church that Jesus left us with precious promises concerning our destiny with him and his plan to return and to govern the earth. We are not to be fearful, but instead to be encouraged that God has described these things in his word and he is ultimately in total control. So here are the presentations you're going to hear today. And I urge you, please try and stay for them all because this has really been fitted together very carefully. The first session that I'm about to embark on here is a biblical view of what this coming global government will look like and the aspects of how the world is being shaped to receive Antichrist. We'll look at the forces that are in the world today that are moving the world towards the acceptance of this individual. We will review some of the tactics that are happening that you see and I see and you wonder, why is this happening? And we'll summarize some of the principal lies that are being perpetrated in our society. In session two, my dear friend and brother pastor Stephen Abdo from Koinonia Bible Church in Charlotte. By the way, there's some of the Koinonians here. Uh, Shout out. (laughs) and uh and Stephen is going to speak to us about being the church in this environment of increasing marginalization of people of faith and the coming persecution that we already see happening all around us Stephen has a a very unique perspective on this because he is a Syrian Lebanese Christian who for the first half of his life was in the Middle East as a Christian with a pastor father who was spreading the word of the gospel in the Middle East. And so Stephen's perspective is very sharp and very relevant. In session three, Brittany McGann, who is our church administrator, and Vince Vincent, who is our youth leader, but also a head of school of a boys' school in Durham, they're going to be presenting a, a session on how you should be thinking about educating your children. We know today more than ever that the indoctrination of a lot of the values that are anti-Christian are being perpetrated in the public school setting. And so Brittany is going to first speak to you about the importance of being actively involved in your children's education and and particularly from the homeschooling perspective. And then Vince is going to uh, inform you and help you understand the kind of forces that are working within the educational environment of the day. And then our fourth session, I will come back up and I'm going to speak to you about the church's position relative to government. There's a lot of dispute about how active a Christian should be 
in the midst of the political processes of our country. And I hope I'm going to give you a unique perspective and how to think about that and how to think about your involvement, okay? So that's, that's what we're going to do today. Again, I urge you, try and hang with us as long as you can. We will be having a break after this presentation. Then we will be having lunch. When we do lunch, because of the kind of the cramped space, We'll be sending you out in two halves. People A through L will get up and go first and get a head start, and then the rest will go through as well. Okay, so let's begin with the world being prepared to receive Antichrist. And I want to start out with a question that may be on your mind. As you think about global government, you might be asking yourself, what's so bad about that? Maybe it would work better if everything was coordinated and everything was working together. We can all be together, join hands, sing kumbaya. What's so bad about global government? By the way, when in my business career, I used to be a globalist. I was somebody who managed the global accounts program for our company, and I thought this was a great thing. I actually had an invitation to attend the World Economic Forum back in 1995. So what's so bad about it? Well, Satan is the original architect of one world government. Paul the Apostle calls Satan in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he calls him the God of this world. Satan fell from his position of being uh, in service to God when he announced his aspirations to exalt himself as God. I turn your attention to Isaiah chapter 14. And between verses um, 13 and, and 15, or 14 rather, this is, this is the intent that Satan had when he was ultimately kicked out of, out of the Lord's service and he became our adversary, Satan. He was named Lucifer as an angel. But this is the mentality that he had. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Now, with that mindset, of course, God cast him from, from, from before the Lord, and, and he becomes now this principal adversary of everything that relates to God and that honors and magnifies and glorifies God, especially the capstone of God's creation, human beings. And so he corrupts humanity with the same lie that we too can be like God if only we will ignore what God has told us and serve ourselves. And since those early days where we lost dominion of the earth and Satan gained it, Satan has been working diligently to shape the world and influence wicked men to bring the entire world under the control of a single ruler who will himself be controlled by Satan. And at different times and in different places throughout history, this plan has succeeded for a time. But history has always shown us that whenever someone tries to assume leadership over all human beings, whenever human governments have rejected God and held global ambitions, it has always been tragic results for the people and it has ultimately failed. And I think the reason is summed up in a statement that historian, politician, and writer Lord Acton once said when he said, power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yet from the very beginning of history, we have seen several attempts to place the world under the unified control of a totalitarian leader who himself is controlled by Satan. 
First instance, Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 9. In Genesis chapter 9, uh, by the way, Tower of Babel is chapter 11, but in Genesis chapter 9, after the flood, the Lord gave a command to the human beings that came off of that ark. He said to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is, this is Genesis 9.1. And this directive by God was, was both to move people to the different portions of the world so that the world could ultimately be populated, but it was also done as a means by which God would place human beings in a position where they would, they would fulfill and live according to the order that God has established. Now, what ends up happening is that the Lord, or I'm sorry, the people through the, the encouragement of Satan, they reject the Lord's order. They come together with the express intent, which is found in Genesis 11:4, when they say, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves. Let us, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the earth. See, to be scattered abroad engenders more reliance upon the Lord God to come together and to build a name for themselves and to exalt themselves above the heights of heaven. This is exactly the same lie that Satan believed himself and now is perpetrating on people. And the, 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 the natural follow-on of that mentality is let's all get this together for central control. And that central control is orchestrated by Satan because he wants that control. Fast forward and we come to Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king. And he has a dream one day. Now he is, he is, the, he is the king of all of the Babylonian empire, which was a considerable empire that covered pretty much the known world of his time. And one evening, he gets a very troubling dream. And he sees this colossus in his dream. And in, in Daniel chapter 2, picking up in verse 31, this is the description of the king. Now, this is Daniel, because he calls in Daniel to first tell him what the dream was and then interpret the dream so that he knows what it is he saw and what it means. And so Daniel is telling him, you, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. The image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly clay. You watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that, was struck, uh, that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, obviously, this is quite an amazing dream. And Daniel goes on to provide the interpretation, the significance of each of the components of this colossus that, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar saw. Daniel tells him, you, O king, are the head of gold. That represented the Babylonian empire. Its splendor, its reach, its power was unparalleled. The chest and arms of silver was the Medo-Persian empire that ultimately defeated Babylon and took over that great destiny of a huge world empire. And then after that, the belly and the thighs of bronze was the Grecian empire, came after, defeated the Persians, took over the world. And then the lower legs of iron was the follow-on world empire 
that being the Roman Empire. Now, then we see the feet of iron and clay, and this is a kingdom yet to come. And because it has that iron component in it, it's a natural assumption that that portion of the statue, the very bottom of it, is the last kingdom of world domination, and that would be one and the same as the kingdom of Antichrist. And so what, what Nebuchadnezzar was given is, here's a succession of all the attempts throughout history, of major attempts to have a world empire that controls the whole world, culminating in this last world empire, the empire of the Antichrist. But then this stone, cut without hands, comes into the frame. It strikes at the feet of this statue. And the entirety of it, all of the efforts, all of the striving of mankind to exalt themselves above the heavens turns into dust. And that rock becomes a mountain that fills the whole earth. Well, that rock, as we know, is Christ. And in this one prophecy, we see the Lord speaking to us, giving us the end from the beginning. So now we fast forward in time to the present time. And here we see once again, Global ambitions of governments, non-governmental organizations like the UN and the World Economic Forum, academic institutions, big banks, corporations, all these things that control our lives. And we see the common theme that was characteristic of all of these kingdoms, the common theme that human effort, human wisdom is the answer to making a better world. And the common objective of putting the entire world under one elitist governmental authority. The underlying assumptions of this approach is that there is no God, that human potential can meet every challenge we face, that human beings need to throw off the order, the values, the institutions, and the morality expressed in God's word if humanity is to progress towards a better, more equitable, and sustainable future. And we see two familiar enemies of totalitarianism. They have been the enemies of totalitarianism since the beginning, and that is God and family. And so let's just look quickly at what does the Bible tell us about this one world government of Antichrist and the state that the world will be in in the days leading up to Antichrist. First of all, what the Bible tells us is that there will be a degradation of society. There will be a breakdown of societal norms and institutions that will put people in a desperate situation. Let me read to you how that is described in Scripture. This is all laid out in Scripture, okay? This is not lunatic fringe, conspiracy theory, nut job stuff. This is the Word of God. Listen to this. 2 Timothy chapter 3, picking up in the beginning of the chapter, we read this. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And then down in verse 13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, if you look at what we are being told here, we are seeing that basic civility, 
natural relationships, when we talk about being lovers of themselves and disobedient to parents and unforgiving and unloving, we see this, right? We see this in our day. Mothers killing children, um, people killing folks on the sidewalk for senseless reasons, racial strife, putting people of different racial backgrounds and ethnicities one against another, murdering them in the streets. This is all part of the breakdown of society that will cause us to be so desperate that we will, we will cry out for a, a one world leader. Um, another thing that the scripture tells us is the apostasy of the church. This is hard to think of, especially, I mean, as a pastor, to think that there will be people who, who name the name of Christ as their Lord and Savior, and yet they fall away from the truth. They leave the orthodoxy of the faith. That's heartbreaking. It's happening. Listen to what uh, the scripture says about that. In uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, picking up in verse 3, let no one deceive you. Notice how each time one of these passages is rendered, we're told, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Pay attention. Look and see what's happening. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day, that day, that is the coming day of judgment, will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin, that would be the Antichrist, is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming." The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now we get, we get a little bit of a sequence here. Uh, in verse 3, we see that there is going to be a falling away. That is addressing the falling away of the professing church from the truth of Scripture to something that is a perverted alternate truth that leads people away from God. Then we see in verse 7, he says, The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, Excuse me, in my Bible, that he is uppercase on the H. And that's always used as a convention when the pronoun is referring to God. And so the he that is restraining is the, is the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and in the midst of the church. You represent a, a vessel of the Holy Spirit, and believe it or not, you may think your, your witness and your testimony and your presence as a Christian is insignificant, and it's not. Your very existence is part of the restraining power of the Holy Spirit to hold back evil, to keep all hell from breaking loose until the, the appointed time that the Lord removes that restraint in what we know of as the rapture. 
And then what we see is the coming of the lawless one, that is the Antichrist. This is why we've often said, you've probably often said, we don't look for Antichrist. We look for Jesus Christ. Because we will see him when he brings us to himself in the air, in the rapture, and only then will the son of perdition, that wicked, be revealed to humanity. And then, of course, because this is all happening, there is a a predicted judgment in the Bible that relates to uh, a world that, although they know of God, they do not recognize him as God, they do not worship him as God, And the Lord has already imposed a judgment on the world that is the judgment of removing restraint, the judgment of giving over. And that's one of the most fearful things that you can experience as as a human being is letting God let you have your way. And so we come to Romans chapter 1, verse 21, and here it is pronounced, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful but became futile in their thoughts and in their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Also, uh, likewise, also the men leaving the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another men with men committing what is shameful, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Now, what you see here is that after God gives mankind over to their desire to live without God and exalt themselves, the natural follow-on effect of that is a deep corruption within humanity that causes us in the most profound way to reject the order that God has established. We have been created in his image. Man and woman, he created them in his image. Nothing screams out, we reject your order, we reject your image, God, more than saying men can be with men, women can be with women, men can become women, women can become men. And this, do you you even question why all of a sudden this is like the greatest uh, social issue of our day? And we are being compelled to believe that lie? This is where it comes from. This is the state of the world getting ready to receive Antichrist. Destruction and disruption of the order of things is a crucial part of this plan of the creeping totalitarianism. The world needs to be put in a hopeless condition where chaos and lawlessness reigns where people have lost all faith in their leaders and their institutions, to put them into the frame of mind where they will receive with relief and gladness this one world ruler, the Antichrist. A former prime minister of Belgium and one of the architects of what became known as the European Union, a man by the name of Paul-Henri Spock, he said this, he summed up very well how the breakdown in human governments, institutions, and economies would prepare the world to desperately seek a world leader of unprecedented stature. This is his quote. It's, it's, it's prophetic. Okay, here's what he said. He said, we do not need another committee 
We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass in which we are sinking. Send us such a man, and be he God or devil, we will receive him. That was spoken back in the 1950s, the late 1950s, I believe. So what does the Bible tell us about this man that Jean, Jean, uh, Paul-Henri Spock is speaking of? Well, uh, we don't have time. This, this session doesn't permit us to go deeply into this, but many of you know the, these things already. But if you go to Revelation 13, there is a very good sort of capsulized summary of just the amazing and comprehensive control this one individual will have over the world. We read there in Revelation 13, 7, that authority was given to him over every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. We will see that he will become a worldwide object of worship. Verse 8, all who dwell on the earth will worship him. And then we see in uh, verses 16 and 17 of that chapter that he will literally control the entire world economy. He causes all, both great small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So what we see is total control, total political control over the world. Being worshipped as God, which actually doesn't happen until the middle of the tribulation, and utter control of the economy. Now, do we see anything in the world? Do we see anything happening in our world that could even make that possible? Because I have to tell you, the reason why so much of Christendom for the longest time and even to this day never bothered with the book of Revelation is because when it was read 50 years ago, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, no one could imagine how one individual could do that. We know different, let me tell you. First of all, the forces moving in our world for the acceptance of a one-world totalitarian government. Here are reasons that the tactics of totalitarian, totalitarianism in our day are leading to the rule of Antichrist. I think we have never seen such a confluence of factors that can promote and enforce the kind of global control that Antichrist will have. So let's start with technology. One of my favorite areas. We don't have time to go into it as much as I'd like, but check this out. International Data Corporation forecasts that by 2025, that's three years from now, 42 billion smart devices will be capturing data on how we live, how we work, what we buy, where we go, what we believe. These devices aren't just going to be phones and computers. There'll be cameras, sensors, smart speakers, devices that are built into things that we consider everyday items like stoves and refrigerators. As of 2021, 5 billion people on the earth are using the internet. You realize 63% of the world's population today, well, it's probably more by now, are online. And during the 12-month period between July of 2021 and July, just two couple months ago, the number of internet users increased by 180 million people. That's 2% of the world's population coming online in just one year, okay? 
Um, and, and then here's another one that, that is somewhat mind-blowing. In order to control the kind of information that we generate every day, you know, if you think about computers and phones uh, back in the beginning of those days, my first computer had a hard drive of 32 megabytes. <laughs> we were not dealing with rich data in those days, were we? You know, we had all these little dot matrix things. It's like, oh, wow, that's a dog, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> in order to, to manipulate, to collate, and to use data at the speed that this would all require, you need data transfer speeds that, that will blow your mind. So let me just give you an idea of how this is progressing. 21 years ago, 3G transmission was the bomb. That was the deal. And to give you an idea of, of the, the data transfer speed of 3G, it would take you 26 hours to download a two-hour film, okay? Then around 2010, 4G starts coming up to speed, so to speak. And now that two-hour movie can be downloaded in six minutes. Quite an improvement. Well, right now we are living in a world where 5G is becoming pervasive throughout the world. And that same two-hour movie can now be uploaded in 3.6 seconds. And we're not done. This, this progression of speed, of data transmission, it's only at its very beginning. But all of this makes, for the first time ever, the surveillance state possible. By surveillance state... I mean that at any point in time, a central government can know where you are and what you're doing. Perfect example. The leader in the world of surveillance state technology is, you guessed it, China. And a BBC reporter, and this was, I think, back in 2020, went to China. He went to one of their cities, which is populated by millions of people, like everything is there. And, um, and they wanted to do a test. They, they, they said, okay, we're going to pretend you're a criminal. So you, you got a day to go hide anywhere in the city you want. You can go wherever you want, and then we'll, we're coming to arrest you. You know how long it took them to find this man? Seven minutes. In seven minutes, they knew where he was, got police there, and arrested him. That's the surveillance state. And you know something? Governments all over the world are going to China, studying that technology and bringing it back. Already, the city of London is probably the most photographed place you can be on the face of the earth, save for cities in China, because they are going in this direction. Um, what this, these kind of data speeds and, and pervasiveness of the internet allows also is something you've probably heard of, digital currency. And right now, the central banks of all of the major countries of the world are studying something known as central bank digital currency. You say, well, we kind of like there now. I don't carry cash, and I'm buying and selling stuff all the time. Right. But it's always associated with an account with, with a, a provider like a Visa MasterCard. This is a central bank digital issuance of tokens that represent money, value, and these things can be monitored closely and also can be turned on or off. So, for example, if the Green New Deal becomes everything that those who propose it to want it to be, then you would have a limit on how much petrol, how much gasoline you could buy. And they would know if you were starting to exceed that limit and they would shut off your ability to purchase. These are the kind of things that are coming on board now. 
Now, another thing that's speaking to us about the world being shaped to receive Antichrist is the efforts of non-governmental global organizations. The world today is dominated by, for example, global corporations of massive scale and complexity. They control extraordinary amounts of power that even governments of the world would be envious of. Companies like Apple, like Alphabet, which is the parent company of Google, like Microsoft, like J.P. Morgan Chase, like Amazon, they're so large that they transcend identification with any individual country. They possess the power to shape and to control many aspects of our world. Interesting factoid. As we came into this year before the market has crashed, the market capitalization of Apple Corporation, market capitalization is simply the price of their shares multiplied by all of their shares, that's the value of the company, it was $3 trillion. You realize that's more than the GDP of any country in the world except for the U.S. and China and Japan and Germany. And during uh, 2020, there was a time when Apple had more cash on hand than the United States government. Now, you say, okay, but those are corporations, those are money-driven, those are, those are not governmental interests. No, not, not so. Because the partnership that we have started to see uh, being forged between these large corporations and government has become most disconcerting, especially with the social media com companies. The transnational organizations committed to bringing the world together. The best known one, of course, is the UN. And the UN spawned many other organizations that have the, the, the mission of globalization within their little area of expertise. The World Bank, for example, formed through the United Nations. The World Court, formed in 1945. The World Health Organization, which we've encountered a whole lot in the recent past. The World Trade Organization. These are all organizations that are driving home the globalist agenda, agenda in their specific context. And each of these have been nudging the world towards globalization of, of societies, of governments, of economies. And this has been happening now, uh, really, for almost 100 years. But the last 50 or so, it has really picked up pace. So much so that in May of this past year, our president was going to sign an executive order that would place in the hands of the World Health Organization the right to declare a public health emergency in our country. And you know how, how, control, how we could be manipulated and controlled whenever such a health emergency is declared because all of a sudden individual rights are put aside supposedly for the name of, of public good and safety. And so to have that taken out of our... Now, it was stopped, at least for the time, but this is the, the thinking... And then, of course, there's the World Economic Forum, which many of you, I know, are already familiar with. The World Economic Forum was formed by a man by the name of Klaus Schwab. He was a business professor at the University of Geneva in Switzerland. And back in the 70s, he formed an organization that would drive unity within Europe. But by 1987, they expanded the mission and the vision of the organization, and it became the World Economic Forum. Now, the World Economic Forum is not a legislative body. They don't have executive power or anything like that. It was, it's really more in the, in the, in the mold of a, of a think tank. The thing about it, however, is that the participants of that think tank are the most powerful people in the world. The very heads of the corporations that I just summarized, the very heads of the largest governments, including our own, 
And these individuals come together with a common purpose to bring the world under centralized control. This is a statement that Klaus Schwab made in May of this year at their annual forum. They call it the World Economic Forum because they all get together in Davos, Switzerland, and they have several days of workshops and speeches and, and, and mission, visioning, vision casting. And this is what he said to the august body that was gathered there. He said, the future is not just happening. The future is built by us by a powerful community made up of you here in this room. We have the means to improve the state of the world, but two conditions are necessary. The first one is that we all act as stakeholders of a larger community, that we serve not only self-interest, but we serve the community. That's what we call stakeholder responsibility. And second, that we collaborate. Now, one of the efforts, the principal efforts of this World Economic Forum is known as the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. On June the 13th, 2019, the influence of World Economic Forum got a major boost when they entered into the, a strategic partnership with the UN to push forward to accelerate the implementation of the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Growth or Development. And this is some of the stated goals of this initiative to end poverty and hungry, uh, hunger everywhere, to combat inequalities within and among countries, to build peaceful, just, and inclusive societies, to protect human rights and promote gender equality and empowerment of women and girls, ensure the lasting protection of the planet and its natural resources. We resolve also to create conditions for sustainable, inclusive, and sustained economic growth, shared prosperity, and decent work for all taking into account different levels of national development and capabilities. Now, as they are so good at doing, this is all couched in very laudable language. Who doesn't want to end world hunger? Who doesn't want people to, to be free from oppression and uh, injustice? But what they are describing here is the greatest transfer of wealth in human history. And when they talk about taking into account different levels of national development, look, I'm just speaking from human nature standpoint. If you go to people who have things and say you can't have them, there's going to be strife. There's going to be disagreement, shall we say? And we are going to have a world that is being imposed upon for these goals, which none of you had a say in. And these things will radically transform the world. Now, there are tactics being used to bring that sort of thing about. And these, I just want to summarize some of these. The reason why uh, Dreyer referred to the totalitarianism we see creeping in as soft totalitarianism, totalitarianism is because, at least for right now, this is not being imposed by jackbooted soldiers who are kicking in doors and holding people at gunpoint. At least not yet. It's happening in a much more subtle way. So here are some of the things that uh, have been used to bring about this kind of change. Uh, controlling areas of strategic function in society, bringing in those who would be willing with a common vision to control things that basically control people. So, for example, the very best uh, example, media. 
The greater media environment of our country means that journalism no longer exists for the most part. And what we have is selective reporting and censorship on a massive scale. And this is true of both the mainstream media, the sort of TV and radio media, but also the social media. They've turned into propaganda outlets. They spread deception by selectively reporting, selectively ignoring, and selectively providing access to their platforms. Um, there's a lot of examples of this. I could give you some. You could see some things that we might know of from personal experience that are going horribly bad, and yet we don't see a level of reporting in the media that would indicate that these things are as bad as they are. I think the southern border might be one of the best examples. This is a catastrophe the likes of which we have never seen. This is an invasion by any stretch or definition of terms we are undergoing an invasion. And drugs are entering our country, violent people are entering our country, and we have no way to track them. While you are being browbeaten and in some cases legislated to wear masks and stay apart from each other, we are letting literal millions of people come through our border with absolutely no restraint. Shouldn't the media be like on fire reporting this? And yet, it doesn't happen. Education. This is something Vincent uh, and, and Brittany will be addressing uh, more in depth. But let me just point it out that education, that whoever educates our children has the power to indoctrinate them into the chosen worldview of the educators. This is why finally, and thank God for the COVID quarantine, because parents finally got to see what their kids were being taught and they are in flames over it. But this has not just happened in the last two years. This has been going on for decades. And this is why we have generations of young people who are totally bought into the idea of tearing down the structures, the mores, the aspects of our society that are based on a Judeo-Christian ethic, burn it to the ground and put something else in place. One of the sort of pioneers of public education in this country, a very well-known author and philosopher and educator by the name of John Dewey, he said this as an orientation to their understanding of how public education should go forth in our country. He said this, there is no God and there is no soul. Hence, there is no need for the props of traditional religion. With dogma and creed excluded, then immutable truth is dead and buried unchangeable, immutable truth, dead and buried. There is no room for fixed and natural law or permanent moral absolutes. That's the orientation of one of the founders of public education in our country. I'll leave it to Brittany and Vince to uh, scare the pants off. No, <laughs> Corporations. The way in which corporations are affecting our society. Uh, social media corporations, most especially provide perhaps one of the most powerful partnerships between commerce and government that ever has existed in our country. You've probably seen um, the most recent examples that were reported as we approached the 2020 election. It just so happened that a laptop was found that belonged to the son of the president. The things that were found on the laptop were breathtakingly horrible. Uh, the, ver the, the validity and and, and uh, authenticity of the laptop established without question. But before that election, because the, that news could have affected the outcome, we don't know, 
the FBI literally approached Facebook. Well, not probably. They are the largest purveyor of social media uh, technology in the world. And they were warned or they were told, be on the lookout for this stuff because we think it's Russian information, which it wasn't. Uh, during, during the COVID-19 um, pandemic, there was a plethora of research and studies done that determined different ways of treating the disease that were different from the party line. Those things were suppressed. I tried posting several of those things. It was shut down absolutely excluded from being able to do that. Now we have large investment uh, organizations, T. Rowe Price, BlackRock Capital Ventures, and all these things. They're applying a, a screen by which they invest your money because if you have 401ks guaranteed, one or more of these organizations has your money. And they employ what is known as ESG scores. ESG stands for Environment, Social, and Governance. And they look at each individual company that they're holding out money to say, we'll provide this money, but how are you doing on the environmental agenda of the administration? How are you doing on the social uh, objectives? And this, a lot of that has to do with gender and, and transgender and all of that. How are you doing on governance? And these things become mandated. They become shaped. They become hammered into the society because these organizations have so much power that who can argue with them? Churches. Stephen Abdo is going to come up after me. He's going to speak to you on this. But you need to know that liberal theology has been invading the seminaries of the United States for decades. Progressive Christianity has been the result and it's spreading like a virus. Now, please understand, I am not trying to stand here in judgment of anybody's ministry. When I refer to progressive or, or liberal versus conservative, I'm not talking in the political sense. I'm talking in the, in the sense of how one thinks. If you are a conservative, what you think, the way in which you apply thought is there is absolute truth. There are source repositories of truth. If we're talking in the legal context, the repository of truth is the Constitution and, and the laws that were built along the lines of the Constitution. Those are immutable things. Those are things we take literally. That's conservative thought projected onto the, the legal environment. A liberal thought would say, no, it's a living document. We interpret it as we see it today. And so there's never a true north. There is never a true point of orientation. That's liberal thinking. So project conservative versus liberal onto theology. Conservative theologians... Believe the orthodoxy of the faith as God wrote it in his word. This is what we teach. This is what we do. This is how we live. Progressive or liberal theology says, no, the Bible needs to be read through the screen, through the lens of the culture of today. This way of thinking has entered our seminaries. And the result has been a low view of scripture. The Bible is not the inerrant word of God. We can study it as great moral example, but it's not the manna for our lives, a low view of Christ. Christ was a great moral man. Christ was a great example. He was a great teacher. He wasn't God. Thirdly, a de-emphasis on salvation and an increased emphasis on morality. You don't need to be saved. You need to be a good person. That's coming through in a lot of messages. 
A de-emphasis on the fallen state of humanity. You realize that one of the greatest differences between what we believe and what the godless people who are driving the world towards this one world government believe is very fundamental. And yet that fundamental difference explodes into all of these differences. We believe what the Bible says about the inherent depravity of humans. We believe in what the Bible says about the original fall. And once we fell as a human race, we became impregnated with the sin nature. And that sin nature means that we are, we, we are depraved and we are condemned. And that's the orientation we start with. And that's why we crave and receive a savior. The other point of view is we are not condemned. We are basically good. And in our basic goodness, we can sort things out and make things better ourselves. And this is such a profound difference in the way in which it magnifies into all other aspects and areas of life. Another thing that happens here. Oh, the, the, the last thing that's, been, that's entered the seminaries is a focus on social justice as the principal message of the church rather than the gospel. Now, another tactic that's used is marginalizing and opposing uh, groups that don't go along with the party line. Conservatives and Christians are at the top of the list of marginalized groups. The recent speeches by our president who called out what he termed MAGA Republicans as being, uh, basically being demonized. This is like 75 million people, many of whom are in this room. Uh, these are the kind of things that, that are always done in these contexts where totalitarianism enters and takes over is that you have to declare an enemy they're the they're the wrong ones they're the ones that need to be eradicated we're the good ones we've got the better idea they're the threat to democracy we're not and and you you know how that goes there's a book that recently has come out called taking back taking america back for god christian nationalism in the united states by andrew whitehead and samuel perry that book purportedly speaking from a Christian point of view, says that Christian nationalists, I'll speak more about that term in the fourth session of today, that Christian nationalists are wrecking the country, are hijacking democracy, and are a problem within the church. Actually written. Another tactic that's happening before our eyes is taking control of language. Redefining terms. This is... This is Profound. Let's just take one example, the abortion issue, okay? The abortion issue is a mother who finds herself with an unplanned pregnancy and for all the reasons or many reasons in her life, she realizes I can't be a mother right now and chooses to abort the baby. That simply and unequivocally, it's the murder of a child. And, and I don't say that to be callous towards any woman who faces that. Uh, it's a horrible you know, decision to make, that, but I think it's an easy one. But, but here's the thing. They will, the people who are in favor of legalized abortion never speak of it in terms of the death of a human being. Never. You never hear that. It's characterized as a woman's right to her own body, a woman's reproductive rights, the right to privacy, a woman's right to her own body, a woman's right to health care. These are all things that paint this as an injustice and an and injustice to a woman as victim, 
And I'm not saying that somebody who's faced with an unwanted pregnancy doesn't have issues. But the truth of the matter is none of these injustices are actually true. No woman is deprived of health care. Nobody is imposing on a woman a demand that she have a child. Nobody is, is, is telling her that she doesn't have privacy about her own life. These are rights that she has. The thing that's never discussed is that your right and my right is always bounded by the rights of others. I have the right to free speech. But I can't just show up at your house at 11 o'clock tonight, come into your house and just start talking to you. Hey, I have the right to speak. No, because you have a right to your property. You have a right to your privacy. So my right to speech is bounded by your right privacy. Hey, I'm all for the Second Amendment. I have the right. I'm a licensed gun owner. I can't come over to your house and start shooting, taking target practice in your backyard. Why? Because you have rights. So my right to own and fire my gun is bounded by your rights. And what no one will say is that the, 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 the baby growing in that womb is a person who has rights, inalienable rights that are expressed in the preambles of our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence. Here's the latest manipulation of language that blew the top of my head off. It is no longer acceptable to use the, the, the word pedophile because it's deemed too stigmatizing. So now these people that we once called meta, uh, pedophiles are now called MAPS. MAPS is an acronym that stands for Minor Attracted Persons. It's just like they call criminals now incarcerated individuals. So I'm, from now on, when we put our grandson in time out, he's an incarcerated individual. <laughs> I, I'm getting out of time, so I, I, I'm going to skip over one, uh, and this is one you know well, so I feel like I can skip over. Creating and encouraging crises that place the public in perceived dangers. We've all just lived that. So I'll move on. Uh, I want to get to this last part, and these are some of the big lies that we are told. I'm going to speak to these in summary fashion because I think they're going to be fleshed out in the other presentations. If the underlying motivation is to dismantle the old order of things and beliefs must be promoted that undermine them to promote a new order, the kinds of things that we would be told would look like this. Number one, moral relativism. Moral relativism simply means there's no absolute truths. You heard the quote from John Dewey. That's moral relativism stated in that quote. Stephen Abdo is going to probably speak to you more about this. The assault on biology. For 6,000 plus years, biology was pretty simple. How did you find out if, you had a, a, if your cat gave birth to kittens and you wanted to know what the sex was? You turned it over, you looked, okay, this one's a male. It's been that way for 6,000 years. Not anymore. Now we have assaulted the very order of God. I saw two medical doctors testify before Congress this week that would not acknowledge that a biological man cannot have a baby. In fact, they said the opposite. A man can have a baby, especially trans men. And that's, what, that's what they testified before Congress. There's an assault on biology because biology is the basic, most basic order that God has created. Third one that Brittany and Vince are going to expand on. The state knows what's best for your children. Your children are not your children. They're the state's children. Fourthly, conservative thought is a threat to democracy. And I've explained to you what conservative thought is all about. 
Fifthly, individual rights such as speech and the right of assembly must be surrendered for the collective good. That's a lie that is expanding in our society. Sixthly, points of view and information that are critical to the government's view is disinformation. Seventh, language that does not agree with the official party line is violence. As soon as they can declare violence, language as violence, then they could respond to that language violence with real violence. That's always the way it's set up. And then finally, efforts to protect our borders and order in our cities is racist and xenophobic. Xenophobic. These are the things that form the foundation of the effort to impose upon us a world that is tailor-made to receive Antichrist. Now, this session is completed. Um, we're going to release you to a break. Uh, I'm going to close with a word of prayer, but we're going to release you for a break. If you can, be back here about 1030, and we'll start session two. And so um, let's bow our heads before the Lord. Father God, we thank you, God, for your truth. We thank you for your word. We pray, Lord, that as we see these things approaching, we will be equipped, we will be informed, we will be encouraged. I will stand fast for the truth you've given us. Lord, bless the rest of our day together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.